1: Truman, and Irish Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio,
0: Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studer Baker Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe.
1: Finally, good one. Hello, and welcome to Episode 14 of We Didn't Start the Fire, the podcast that races through post-war history and all of the reasons why the world today is the way it is, all done through the medium of a number one smash hit, you may know it. By Billy Joel. I'm Katie Puckrick.
0: I'm Tom Fordyce.
1: And as always, Tom, we are ready to learn a little bit more about how we got to our squirrely-whirly world. (laughs) And today, the very, very important builder of our squirrely-whirly world is the pop culture icon that is Marilyn Monroe.
0: It's a biggie, Katie, this episode. This is one of the episodes that I feel we could almost do 20 episodes on. Do you know what I mean? You could just zoom in on one part of Marilyn Monroe's life. You could do her childhood, you could do just her death, you could do her lovers, you could could do do her films.
1: Well, you could just do her effect on pop culture, the fact that every young pop star today pretty much uses her look as the building block. You know, whether it's Katy Perry or Gwen Stefani, Madonna, of course. Um, Yeah, it's a classic look.
0: So when did you first become aware of Marilyn When did her look or her songs or her films work their way into your life?
1: My first awareness of Marilyn Monroe was sexual jealousy (laughs) on the part of my mother because my dad quite fancied old Mazza. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that my dad was very devoutly Catholic, very prudish and conservative, and yet... He seemed to have a soft spot for this lady who, you know, any other day of the week, he would have decried her as being a little bit of a hussy, a little bit of a floozy, a little bit of a ne'er-do-well. And yet he did have a soft spot for her. And I remember that that really drove my mother crazy. Um, he would get kind of a glassy look in his eye whenever a Marilyn Monroe film would come on television. And uh, she would mutter under her breath about him being a hypocrite. So, um that I thought was a, a good thing that uh, Marilyn could get a rise out of my parents. How about you?
0: Yeah, so I think I first became aware of her through one of the copycats, if you want to f- put it that way, which was watching Madonna's Material Girl video and having absolutely no idea at the time that it was an homage slash ripoff of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend.
1: Yeah. Just didn't know. Yeah, from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then there is something about Marilyn where as you grow older, she's just unmissable because she's everywhere, her influence is everywhere. She has provided a template for others to follow. And while we were doing our reading for this episode, Katie, and our watching and our listening, do you know what I thought? I just thought there is still, despite all the people who have, have taken bits of her image and tried to do their own thing with it, there's no one like her still. Her whole, bearing in mind that she died in 1962, which is a long time ago, her influence is still everywhere.
1: Absolutely. Mm. We need to know more.
0: We need to know more, Katie. And thankfully, we have someone who knows far more than we do about Marilyn Monroe. And that is Char Dawes, author, fan club member of Marilyn, obsessive since the age of seven. Char, is that fair?
1: That's absolutely true. <laughs> and she's, she's actually written about Marilyn Monroe. She wrote Bombshells, Five Women Who Set the 50s on Fire. So thank goodness. And also, I have to say, I did read your book. Oh. <laughs> so so I, I got a head start Thank on this you. situation. So Char, everybody knows the iconic image of Marilyn Monroe without even without having seen any of her movies. And I'm particularly interested in the the human behind the image and also the emotional cost that she paid for being a worldwide fantasy figure. But first of all, I was wondering, what's your personal connection?
2: My connection to Marilyn is that when I was seven years old, I was um, I lived in Australia for a while, and my blonde hair had gone even blonder. And I came home and uh, back to England, and my great-aunt Ivy saw me. Oh, yeah. And uh, she was like oh, my goodness, she looks just like Marilyn Monroe. Uh (laughs) That's because my hair was blonde. Right. And um, I was really sort of excited about that. And I was like, who's Marilyn Monroe? Who's Marilyn Monroe? And when I found out there was no going back, I fell in love because, of course, I just saw this beautiful woman and I wanted to know more and more about her. And initially it was her image Um, But as I got older, I was more interested in her life, Mm. more than her films, to be honest.
0: You get a sense, Katie, when you read about her childhood. So she has different foster homes and quite different regimes as well, it seems. Some super strict ones and then some more laissez-faire ones. You get the sense that she is the woman that she'll become is shaped by that childhood. She has this need almost to please people?
2: Well, it has to be said she did embellish her childhood quite a lot. She was in several foster homes. Without You can't take that away from her at all. Um, however, her first foster home was with the Belenders and... She said that they were religious zealots and it was really strict, but they absolutely loved Marilyn. She was with them for seven years. They wanted to adopt her, but her mother, Gladys, completely refused. She wouldn't have her adopted. Um, So they took care of her for seven years. So her first seven years were actually really quite stable in a loving environment. Um, After that, her mother decided that she wanted Marilyn to live with her and she brought her home and sort of within months of having her back Under her wing, as it were. Marilyn's mother had a psychotic episode. Oh, no. Um, She had a complete breakdown and was taken to hospital after attacking her friend with a knife. Oh, my gosh.
0: So how does Marilyn, or Norma Jean, as she is at that point, how does she make the jump from a girl who watches films to a a woman who is in films?
2: Well, it it all come about by accident, really. I mean, she kind of alluded to the fact that she was this child with these big ideas that she wanted to be on. She went to the cinema and wanted to be an actress. However, when she was at school, she showed no interest in drama or acting. In fact, her first husband, um, Jim Doherty, he did act and he was doing drama at school and he was friends with Jane Russell. But Marilyn wasn't interested at that particular time. She was more interested in writing. So she worked on the Um, school newsletter and uh, produced, yeah, she produced features for the school newsletter. And um, she eventually got married to Jim when she was 16. She was very young. Oh, wow. it's amazing. 16 years
0: old. How old was Jim?
2: He was 19, 20 when they got married.
0: Does he want to marry Norma Jean?
2: This is the thing. Over the years, Marilyn said there was nothing there. They were brother and sister. It was an arranged marriage. There was literally nothing there. He, on the other hand, said that they loved each other very much. Mm. and They they had a very close relationship. Marilyn did want to have children with him. She was interested. She just wanted to be a housewife. When she was at school, um, she said she was getting married. She was leaving school. That was it. She was going to um, be a grown-up and have her own house and do what she wanted to do. Um, and then he, in 1943, he joined the Merchant Navy. And it was war, obviously. And Marilyn wanted to have a baby before he left for sea and he refused. So her, in her head, her ideas were to have a little family. So she wasn't thinking about being a big movie star. It wasn't her mm-hmm. idea. But after he went off to sea, she went to work. She left his family (laughs) because she, at the time she was living with his family and she got a job in the parachute factory. She was working there and David Conover, an army photographer, was asked to go out and take photographs for the war effort. The girls at home, this is what you're working for, lads. (laughs) Right. And he saw Marilyn and many others, took photos of them. Um, but he had like a connection with Marilyn. It was just a bit of chemistry there. Right. And he looked at the photos afterwards and thought, this girl's got something special. And it kind of went from there.
0: So, so yeah. she's at this stage, does she still have her natural hair colour? Yep, she's got change? her
2: natural hair colour. Which, which is was what a reddy brown is in? Chestnutty t- colour, mm, yeah. yeah. And um, she liked her hair. She liked her hair colour. Her hair was quite frizzy and full. Um, and she was asked to do some shampoo adverts, and they said that they'd wanted her to go blonde for it. And she's like, I don't want to. I don't want to go blonde. So um, Emmeline said to her, look, you'll look better as a blonde. The camera picks up blondes much better. The photographs are better. And the agencies are looking for blondes right now. Your money is in being blonde. And it was w- with absolute great reluctance that she went blonde.
0: That's interesting, Katie, because I always thought she wanted to be blonde because of the Jean Harlow connection and I got a sense reading about her that she really, really, really wants to make it in the movies, and she's prepared to do whatever it takes to get in the movies. So that surprised me, yeah. I I thought she would have happily acquiesced.
2: And now she, she was... Her path just happened to the movies. She didn't fight for the movies. Mm. But once she got into them, once she actually started working in the movies, that's when her ambition really came out. She was ambitious to be a model, and then she was ambitious to be an actress.
1: I'm interested in the fact that whenever you see any of her films, not only is She just incandescent on the screen. You you can't not look at her. I mean, you know, I was watching uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes the other night, and even though Jane Russell is amazing and astonishing and entertaining and beautiful, it's only Marilyn that you want to look at. And so I'm interested in the fact that she has this utter sexual confidence. You know, she seems to really have just she's so in her body and so uh almost weaponizes her sexuality did that come naturally or was that just something like a little bit of manipulation that she learned that was the
2: dichotomy of her that was the problem with her the contrasts the whole of marilyn is two sides it's like her the fact that she was a gemini (laughs) you know the, the twins she didn't have confidence um but she did portray confidence. Right. It wasn't something that came naturally to her. It was more a determination rather than a natural-born confidence. It was a drive and a determination. Mm-hmm. And how did she get her stage name? Because she was Norma Jean Mortensen. Was that her? <laughs> she was actually Norma Jean Baker at that point. Okay. And they said, this isn't good. We need something uh, more vibrant, as it were. And um, so they came up with the name... Marilyn Monroe for her. And she wasn't really keen on her stage name. She was happy with Monroe because it was her mother's uh, maiden name. Right. But she wasn't happy with Marilyn. She wished she'd kept Jean. Because that just felt like
1: she was erasing herself, I yeah, would imagine. Yeah, yeah. And she'd already erased her beautiful chestnut hair and was becoming this whole person, this whole different person
2: that was very crafted. Like, didn't she have a little bit of plastic surgery? She had a small amount. Um, She had her teeth fixed. They've said that she had her nose done, but there's no... I I mean, I don't know that for sure. Um, She had a small chin implant because she had a receding chin. Um, She had a hairline. She had electrolysis on her hairline.
1: To give her more of a wider, sort of more childlike, open forehead, I suppose.
0: So this, this name of hers, Katie, the, the Marilyn Monroe, she was at school, she was known as the mmm girl, wasn't she? So apparently she quite liked the...
1: Oh, the double the, M. The double M, because that yeah. was.
0: But then when you hear about how she tried to make her way up the ladder, right, this stuff we know about Hollywood, we know what Hollywood is like, and this stuff we have found out recently with the Me Too movement. Yeah,
1: like casting couch uh, and toxicity.
0: Yeah. And what astonished me was how many different men she has to sleep with to have a chance. And we're not talking, so we're not talking here about men at the same age as her. We're talking men who are vastly older, who really just hold the reins to power.
2: Yes. However, Marilyn did actually like older men. She much preferred being in the company of older men. I think she enjoyed their knowledge, their wisdom. Um, a bit so, of fatherliness
0: there as well as a girl who never knew her father.
2: Yeah, there was definitely some of that. She called um, Joe and, um, well, all three of her husbands, she called them daddy or papa. Mm. So there was sort of that element there, definitely.
1: I love this quote. Uh, I read this in your uh, chapter on her in, in your book, Bombshells. In 1954, Marilyn reportedly said, "In Hollywood, a girl's virtue is much less important than her hairdo. You're judged by how you look, not by how you are. Hollywood's a place where they'll pay you a thousand dollars for a kiss and fifty cents for your soul. I mm. know because I turned down the first offer often enough and held out for the fifty cents.
2: I know it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> so
1: wonderful. I she, mean, she yeah. was like, she's no dummy. This no, is the thing. No. Because of course, there's this image. I mean, she plays the dumb." blonde archetype often enough in her films. She plays it very well to the extent that people quite stupidly,
2: naively write it off. This is when I wrote the book. It was because, or partly because, The women in the book, they're all seen as victims. Mm. They're all seen as dumb blondes. And actually, they were all really strong, determined, forceful women. And Marilyn was right out there. She was really right out there. She knew exactly what she wanted. But she also knew how to work it and how to play the system.
1: Right, right. And she, in the whole trajectory of her film career, she ended up fighting for fair pay, fighting against
2: typecasting. Actually, it wasn't Marilyn that fought for fair pay, it was the men in Marilyn's life. Joe DiMaggio, money was everything, he was really important to Joe. She was offered a film, I think it was The um, Girl in Pink Tights and Frank Sinatra was playing opposite her. Frank Sinatra was going to be receiving $5,000 a week, Marilyn 1500 And Joe said, no, no, you can't do it. You just can't do it. But I think Marilyn would have done it because Marilyn wasn't interested in the money side of things. Mm. But the men in her life were.
0: The men seem to be quite controlling, all the men that she meets. So we've heard a little bit about Joe DiMaggio, Katie, because he was an earlier episode for us. And we talked a little bit about his relationship with Marilyn then. But I did not think I'd appreciate it until we get to Marilyn quite how much he wants her to conform to his idea of what a woman should be. So he, Joe seems to want an Italian housewife. He seems to want someone to do the cooking and the cleaning. And you're sort of thinking, Joe, you've married one of the most beautiful and famous women in the world here. There's there's some sort of contradiction at play here.
1: Right, right. One of the most celebrated actresses of her time and he
2: wants her to quit acting. He did. However, she also told him that that's what she wanted, that she wanted to... Be the housewife. She wanted to make him spaghetti. Right, know? that's what she wanted to do. But Have did she? Did, did she
1: mean it in like in the minute, and then like maybe it seemed appealing for half an hour?
2: Um, I think in the moment, yes. That's probably. I think that's the two sides of her. I think she did want all those things. Hmm. But she also wanted to be really special, and she wanted, well, she actually said, I'm not interested in money, I just want to be wonderful. Mm. Oh, that's, bless
0: her. A, that's, that's a good goal. The relationship with Arthur Miller is a, is a funny one from the outside, isn't it? Because he, he is this very serious playwright, um, very well thought of critically. There's an amazing headline in Variety when Arthur Miller and Marilyn get married, which is simply Egghead. Weds hourglass, yeah, which I thought was nice, but they did seem to have a genuine connection.
2: Um, I think that she really loved Arthur Miller, and I think that Arthur Miller really loved her. I want to show you something. I brought something along with me. Okay, so so you have some photographs here. So this is a love note that Arthur Miller wrote Marilyn Monroe.
0: Oh, read it to us. (laughs)
2: Okay, (laughs) Um, it was in her personal effects. And it was Wednesday, April the 4th, 1956.
1: So I'm looking at this note, and you're saying this is what Arthur Miller wrote to Maryland. Uh, And he has uh, one twelve p.m., so right after lunchtime. It's specific, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's very specific. My darling, the kids are here. I'm working on my special. I love you. I want you this moment. I'm deeply happy, and agonized that you're not in reach. The joy of the future has suddenly come on me. I kiss you, and he signed it A. Mm.
2: Oh my gosh, that's just just raw and immediate. Yeah, it really is. I think that that says so much. That's you know that little note. He was writing her little notes all the time. I don't know if you saw. Oh the auction, when these came up for auction, there was a Joe DiMaggio love letter. Oh. There was a love, another letter from Arthur Miller and there was this one and I got this one.
1: That is such a keepsake. Well done <laughs> Thank for <you>. scoring that. <laughs> I think it incredible. probably works
0: for Arthur, doesn't it? As a playwright, when he's trying to seduce Marilyn, it sort of works for him. The written form is very much playing to his strengths.
1: Yeah, mm. but listen to this, Tom. Uh, when Marilyn met Arthur and she had met him even before she was with Joe DiMaggio.
2: Well, she'd met him, yeah. She met him um, when she, just after Johnny Hyde died and uh, it was a very intense meeting and they fell in love with each other, basically. Um, but he was married and he was quite highly principled and it wasn't until sometime later that they met up again. Mm-hmm. And by this time, he decided, okay, I'm I'm going for this. And and so she and he were at a party together, and
1: she tells her friend Natasha afterward. Now, who's Natasha? Is that her? That was
2: her acting coach.
1: Her acting coach. So Marilyn says, Tom, I met a man, Natasha. It was bam. You see my toe? This toe? He sat and held my toe. I mean, I sat on the Davenport. He sat on it too, and he held my toe. It was like running into a tree. You know, like a cool drink when you've got a fever.
0: Oh, there's two beautiful <laughs> notes about each other there, aren't there? Yes. And it seems that, because we always think of Marilyn as her, as the part she plays in films, the archetypal Dumb Blonde, she genuinely seems interested in that world of high culture. And the, books. And books. And, and, and she, the great Russian and, plays. Yes. and All that stuff that art represents. As,
2: and as Shar said, when she was even a teenager, she was writing. She was writing for the school newspaper. She also wrote poetry, um, and she was very close to the poet Norman Rostin. Um, so she would send him her work and he would kind of workshop it for her, you know, and they would, like, discuss it and things and he would send her work and it was Mm. like that, you know, and she was very into arts, yes.
1: Ooh, Tom, if you don't mind, I need a moment, so it's just as, well, it's time for a commercial break.
0: You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. to tell this. There's a man in her life, Katie, that we probably need to talk about. And he's always associated with Marilyn Monroe because of the ways that she sings Happy Birthday to him. And that's that's JFK. But it seems, Shah, that maybe while they were intimate at times. Maybe this this affair has been overplayed a bit, has it? Totally. It's a big smokescreen,
2: JFK. It was a little, again, it was a little moment in time. Um, I don't think it was as relevant as people have grabbed onto. In fact, what happened was, several years after she died, um, a guy called Robert Slatzer claimed that he married Marilyn <laughs> oh. in uh, Mexico. And It's nothing. It's no such thing. It didn't happen. Uh, And it was him that basically began the whole JFK, all the lies, basically. So Um, so he started um, this tantalizing gossip. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Did Marilyn Monroe ever cross paths with Marlon Brando, who is another lyric in "We Didn't Start Jeez. the Fire"? Did she have anything oh, to do with she him? she did.
2: Yeah, she and um, Brando had a very brief relationship. They were very good friends. They got on very well. Um, she wasn't quite sure about um, Brando's bedroom style. <laughs> what was?
0: <laughs> tell me
1: more, because
2: I'm.
0: I, I get to the juice?
1: I need, I need to know some uh, facts and figures here.
2: She just basically said that she wasn't quite understanding of his bedroom style that's all that's really all i can that's say <laughs> i need more <your> information
1: <laughs> what it, like too complicated like
2: too acrobatic or not tender enough or i'm not i'm not entirely sure Cirque to be Soleil? Honest, but i do know that it was a bit she was a bit taken back by it um the relationship didn't it just petered out it was just a brief thing but they were both um students of the actor studio sure. and they were close and they became they sort of went their just separate ways, um, but they would come back together again as friends and towards the end of her life they were quite good friends. They'd remained friends. Mm.
0: Yeah, because Brando gets all these props, Katie, doesn't he, for his acting and people seem to overlook that with Marilyn. When we've been watching back Marilyn films, the thing that stands out is she's really good.
1: Well, she's making, she's clearly making choices, Char. I mean, when she you is. watch her, she she's not just like feeling it out and acting instinctively. She's extremely mannered, or she's making
2: a choice. Um, it's all her. What I find is really interesting about her acting is that Marilyn complained about playing the dumb blonde. She was a genius comedienne. Genius. Um, and she made a, a bit of a, I want to be a serious actress, which I, I, I can understand that. However, when she set up with Milton Green, Marilyn Monroe Productions, the intention was to do serious work. The first thing that she did was bus stop. Right. And she just continued in the roles. Yes. She did bus stop, she did Let's Make Love, she did some Like It Hot. However, when she did get a really serious juicy role that in my opinion was her best or one of very much one of her best, um when Arthur Miller wrote The Misfits for her, she hated it. She hated it with a passion and it was the end of their marriage. Why did she hate it? Arthur Miller used elements of Marilyn's life in The Misfits and I think she's like hang on a minute, I'm saying these words and this has actually happened to me. She feels exposed. And I think she felt very vulnerable. But Arthur Miller, the type of writer that Arthur was, he always wrote from realism. He wrote from real life. He Mm. never just plucked it out of the air. It always come from somewhere. He used people's mannerisms or their something that had happened and gossip that he had heard of something or other, you know? Yeah. So every every one of his stories is based on something that truly happened. And she knew that when he she asked him to write something for her.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I was watching The Misfits the other night and it's very affecting because you do feel like she's confessing something of of her life. I mean, even at the beginning of the film, where she's in Reno getting a divorce and she has to cite cruelty as the reason why, you know that that's that he that Arthur Miller has plucked that from her experience with Joe DiMaggio, yeah, yeah. because of course Joe DiMaggio was apparently physically abusive with Marilyn, and then later on in the film, you can see that there's kind of a tug of war between how she automatically goes to entrance the men around her with, with her sexuality, with her charms. And yet really beneath that,
2: she just wants love. That's correct. There's also a scene there. I don't know if you can remember it. She opens up a wardrobe door and yes. there's photographs of her as Marilyn Monroe. Yes, Yeah, there's like there's a, a shot from
1: um Seven Year Itch. Yeah. With the, the you know the subway grate blowing up under her skirt. And that's Supposedly,
2: what like her on vacation or something, yeah. And she just goes, Oh, Clark Gable, who played gay, she said, Gay loves these, um, and they're just silly. And she shuts the door, you know, she yes. dismisses, yes, that that I'd have that on the wall, <laughs> you know? but you and know her what, character just dismisses it. And it's know?
1: quite, it's quite meta though, because she's kind of going, Like, there's all the they're obviously like glamour pin up shots of her, and she's like, Oh, don't, yeah, don't look at that, yeah, that's not important, yeah. So, I mean, that's. Quite meaningful, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it is. It really is, and I just think it's such an amazing film. However, she was really ill at that time. Her marriage was falling apart. Um, she was having problems. The cinematographer couldn't focus on her eyes because her eyes were so glazed over, where she was obviously well. She had to take sleeping pills to yeah, get to sleep. and she then... need. She had to get up, give a full day's work. They stop. They were supposed to start early. They'd finish late. And she had to look fantastic. Yeah. And if she's laying there wide awake, not being able to sleep... Desperation. Absolute For desperation. Torture, yeah. Yeah. So then she's taken the pills and she wakes up in the morning she's groggy and she can't get it together and then she needs something else to wake her up yeah, more she, than coffee, you know? Sure, puppy-upper. Yeah. Um, so you can understand that that cycle that she got into and she was so ill at that point and it was at that point after the making of the film that her um, psychiatrist sent her into the institution. The psychiatrist thought she was helping her but of course it was... Marilyn's nightmare come true because she believed there was a history of um, mental illness in her family. However, what she didn't know at the time that the mental illnesses were caused by um, organic illnesses, like her grandmother had myocarditis and um, that stopped oxygen getting to the brain. And, and so she had episodes, mental episodes. So it wasn't, Necessarily, it wasn't like a mental illness, no, as such, it was uh, like an a... inherited mental illness, right? And her mother's problems at the time she'd had the breakdown, she'd also lost her son, her son had died, right. Marilyn's brother. Um, so there were reasons behind it, but Marilyn just thought, Oh, it's in the family, and that's it, mm. you know.
1: So, she the fact that she was committed against
2: her will, it was her worst nightmare, it was her worst nightmare come true. It was the thing that she was always afraid of because it wasn't a nice hospital. She thought she was going into rest and relax. Sure. she went into padded cell. They stripped her and she ended up in a straitjacket.
0: I had no idea it got that, it got that bad.
1: So th- this was in 1961 and this was uh, after she had finished filming she'd The finished,
2: Misfits? She'd finished The Misfits and she'd um, asked for help. She'd asked Lee Strasberg for help and he ignored her letter. Mm. And it was Joe DiMaggio that came and got her out. So So
1: that's interesting that these people are circling and cycling through her life because, of course, her marriage with Joe DiMaggio finished uh, quite abruptly after he stormed off the set on Seven Year
2: Itch. Is that right? Yeah. Can you tell me that story? Well, he had real issues with Marilyn showing her body. And he didn't just do it on the Seven Year Itch. He also did it on There's No Business Like Show Business. She had a scene where she was wearing. Have you st- Have you seen No Business Like Show yeah. Business? Where she's wearing that Karma uh, Miranda outfit. Yeah, and Johnny she- Ray is in that film. Yeah, as well. yeah, she's she's gyrating around the stage, and he's come on to the um, stage to watch to see what she's doing yeah. and of course she's showing everything and she's all you know, yeah she's given it the full Marilyn he's really angry about it and then again and she's doing her job that's right totally and then again uh, with the seven year itch they set up Sam Shaw the photographer set up the publicity shots to do the the, the skirt, skirt blowing, blowing up, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were just publicity shots because right. the actual filming was done at a different time, and obviously, whole of New York came out when they heard about it—the buzz and everything—and sure. they said to Joe, "Come and come and watch." And he was like, "I don't want to. I don't want to see it." No, no, go on, come and watch. Come and watch. Yeah. And uh, so he went down there, and of course, her skirts blowing up she's got white panties on but the lights you can imagine the lights are showing pretty oh, yeah, much yeah the
1: clear lights are like x-ray vision yeah
2: yeah and he was absolutely furious and that was the end that was the night that ended their marriage because they went back to the hotel there was reportedly arguing shouting crying and the next morning her uh, makeup artist and her coach saw that she had bruising um mm. down her back of her shoulder and they had to cover it up with makeup Mm. And so they assumed that that's what Joe
1: had done. Aww. and so the marriage ended within months
2: after that. It pre- that was it. Oh, that was much, pretty much, much was was it. it. Yeah, they went back to um, LA. Mm. Uh, they were in a rented property in LA, and um, it just they decided that was it. That end of it.
0: Mm. What was it about her look that, and her sexuality that made her so popular around the world? She seems to, in some ways, have been. Uh, every man's dream woman in that she was sexually adventurous, but she was, she was looking for a paternal figure. Like it seemed to fit a certain idea of how men want a woman to be.
1: Oh, yeah, there's so like an a unresolvable tension between those two things.
2: Yeah, she, I think it was um, she offered no strings. She offered no commitment she, or, or appeared to offer. She offered all the things that actually she wasn't. Um, deep down, she was such a complex person. She caused so many problems for Arthur Miller. But um, on the surface, it, she just looked the bubbly, frothy, champagne blonde, you know. Hmm. And um, I think that was a, a problem. That was definitely a problem for Arthur Miller.
0: <laughs> it's like all the men in her life, Katie. They want Marilyn Monroe, but also they don't want the Marilyn Monroe stuff that comes with her.
1: Yeah, they want the surface but and not, not the
0: complications. And not
1: the human being. And no wonder she's so tortured because there's all of these impossible expectations that she feels compelled to fulfill. No wonder she has to... She's
2: so anxious that she has to take uh, pills all the time. Towards the end of her life, obviously there's a load of myths surrounding her death. There's a story about... Everyone's got a different story about how Marilyn died. Um, I think... She'd lost a lot of weight in to play in Something's Got to Give. She felt overweight in Let's Make Love. Well, she was 10-stone in Let's Make Love. And she felt overweight in the Misfits. And so she decided for her next, her last movie for Fox actually, Something's Got to Give, she was going to just shed the weight. And she went down to 8 Stone 4. And I'm not a doctor. But I think a combination of taking the tablets and having lost so much weight, I think, would have had an effect on her metabolism and the way she metabolised and digested the pills as well. So I personally think that it was an accidental situation. I don't think... There's certainly no Mafia mob or, right. <laughs> or any of that, you know.
0: When she dies... There are so many theories around what actually happened on that night in August 1962. Different people's accounts, different people's ideas of even what time she died and how she was discovered. So what do you think happened?
2: Well, that day she'd been doing her garden. Um, she was having things delivered for the house. I think everything was looking up for her in a lot of ways. But also, she was also struggling with the whole ageing process. She wasn't enjoying the studio work that she was doing, on the film that she was doing on Something's Got to Give. And the ageing process, how old is she at this time? She's 36. <laughs> um, but in Hollywood at that point, You were over by that. You know, I mean, that age, it was towards the end of the game. So personally, I don't think it made her suicidal. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it may have been intentional, but she'd had a few conversations that evening with people and um, I'm kind of thinking that maybe she did just take that one dose too much.
0: She gets a call from Joe DiMaggio Jr., yeah, didn't they he? were so very close. So it sounds like she got yes. on really well with him. Who, and he was, what, 20-odd at that time, was he?
2: Yeah, he just told her that he was going to get married and he told her that um, he'd split up with his girlfriend. He wasn't going to marry her. He decided he didn't want to be with her or want to be with him, whatever. And Marilyn was really happy <laughs> because she didn't like her very much anyway. Uh-huh. And she thought, yep, you're doing the right thing. This is brilliant, you know. So she was very positive during that phone call.
0: That's So that's about seven or quarter past seven in the evening and then she gets a call from Peter Lawford the actor at eight and that's when he starts thinking because of her delivery is quite slurred and the things that she says to him he's the one who starts to panic is he
2: yeah he phones um the lawyer Rudin He, he phones rather than go to the scene himself he phones him and Rudin phones Eunice Murray, the housekeeper, who was staying overnight. And she
0: sounds an interesting character in her own right.
2: Oh, that's that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he phones her and says, can you look in on Marilyn's back? And she, oh yeah, Marilyn's fine. Marilyn's okay, don't worry about it. And so, Mar-
1: so had she looked in on her and just saw a lump she, under the covers? She just saw,
2: no, she just seen there was light under her door oh. and she just assumed she was listening to music and whatever. But this yeah. is where
0: the other theories come in, don't they, Casey? There are so many different... Uh, conspiracy theories around Marilyn's death because uh, Peter Lawford is married to...
2: Patricia Lawford.
0: Yeah. Who is a Kennedy sister. Who is a Kennedy. Is a Kennedy.
2: Yeah. yeah. JFK So sister, there's there's yeah. theories about, sister, hi- yeah.
0: about his involvement. There's theories about Jimmy Hoffa's involvement and there's theories about what the housekeeper does or doesn't do and whether she can see a light under the door because there's a very thick carpet, thick carpet isn't there? That's it, yeah, yeah. So has there's... this ever been resolved? And so also, some...
2: Marilyn was well known for not locking her bedroom door, not locking, not wanting doors locked. And you're saying her door was locked yeah, that night? Yeah, uh, the housekeeper said her door was locked because oh. the doctor had to bash the window. So. Um,
0: what was the reaction like, both in America and around the world, as news of her death breaks?
2: I think people were so shocked, and I think people were at the, people that lived at the time said, "Well, you remember what you were doing when Marilyn Monroe died? When the news came through that she died, it, it was, and it was also there was a feeling of, well, if she can't make it, you know, in this world, she appeared to have everything going for her. She appeared out outside to be happy, bubbly, and full of life and vibrance. And they, when the coroner's report came back, they believed it was suicide. Mm. Um, and that she'd made a cry for help and like she had done in the past because she had made other attempts in the past um, and they put it down to suicide at that point. Mm. After she'd died, um, everybody wanted; to ta- they still wanted to take her picture which mm. was really gruesome. Um, and also one of the guys that worked at the funeral home They'd made her up and they'd put her forces. So on. she had false She had falsies. Just She had of,
1: chicken fillets. All right. So just yeah. to make the most out of her décolletage. Yeah.
2: And also when she had the autopsy, she'd had the back of her hair cut. And that went into the bin. And someone reached in and took it all out. And it was sold at a later date.
1: So souvenirs, very morbid yeah. souvenirs. And that is just an indication of... <laughs> what you know? She was a commodity.
2: Yeah, every in e- death, you know, yeah. even
1: even her falsies and her hair. Yeah, I mean that's that's what you would do with a saint, a medieval saint, isn't it? You mm. know,
0: you'd have a, a relic. What would you say, Shah? Is the legacy of Marilyn Monroe?
2: I think obviously she's left so much for us to appreciate on film, um, in photographs, and everything. But she's also somebody to really look at and admire. Because she started off with so little and she worked so hard and achieved so much. All she said was, I I really want to be loved. And she was loved and she still is loved. She's immortal. She is.
0: Sure, thank you so much for coming in to talk to Katie and I. Thanks for bringing that amazing love letter from Arthur Miller.
1: Yeah, that is really going to stay with me.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, wow, Katie, so that was Marilyn Monroe. I probably had a lot of expectations for this episode because she is inescapable wherever you grow up in the world.
1: I am left feeling deeply frustrated because um there's so many questions that will forever go unanswered about her, and there's so many what ifs. Um I just feel like she essentially was punished. Um for all the things that she was fantastic at doing. So, you know, whether it's men that she gets together with who are like, no, don't be the thing that you're so good at being, Whether you know, Joe DiMaggio wanting her to not be an actor anymore, or people expecting her to be this gorgeous goddess who is sexually available, uh, but also wanting her to be like this ultimate professional. Like there's all these different tensions that cannot coexist.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when I hear about the men in her life, part of you thinks, well, that's a ludicrous way to behave towards her, to expect this woman to match up to all the world fancy you've had that she never knows about. But equally, her appeal is so blatant. The male part of your brain starts going very male and just going, she is gorgeous. And, you know, parts of your brain are turning to mush even as you look at her.
1: Yeah, you go, you go caveman you when go you look caveman. at her. yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm just left with a deep frustration because I, I wish I wish we could have all enjoyed and Marilyn could have enjoyed uh, becoming a woman, you know, leaving this kind of perpetual sex goddess fantasy figure and then discovering her real self and whatever that was going to be, whether she was going to be an actor or whether she was just going to go off and have a baby and grow a garden.
0: And just be normal for a bit. Yeah. Wow. Katie, it's not a massive surprise to me that Billy Joel would have chosen to mention Marilyn Monroe, that mmm, girl.
1: He's not, you know what, he's not going to be too tricksy. He's not going to overthink it. If you're going to do a song about people that we have perhaps heard of in the second half of the 20th century, of course you're going to include Marilyn Monroe.
0: He would have watched her films. May have had a poster of her on his wall.
1: He may have had a gentle tug. In a twilight hour, (laughs) as a young person, it may have helped him discover his orientation. Yeah. As a gentleman. Yeah,
0: it all makes sense to me. Katie? Yes. Where we go next?
1: Oh, we're going to talk about those, uh, maybe, were they, traitors, (gasps) the Rosenbergs, during the Cold War traitors. During the Red Scare era.
0: In the meantime, get in touch with me and Katie. We are at Spread That Fire on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us with your thoughts, your memories, your feelings about Marilyn or any of our other topics. Or
1: or anything coming up anything coming up and of I'm, course because you know where we're going yeah you know just look you know google the lyrics and see what's coming up and give us your thoughts also I'm not against fan letters so that, that'll that be good too <laughs> like me and Marilyn have that in common we like fan letters
0: <laughs> the email address if you want to get in contact with us that way is fire at uk. and for now it's goodbye Norma Jean and we know you slightly more than we did before candle in the wind <laughs> If you've enjoyed that story about Marilyn Monroe, there's even more. There's a great new podcast called Death of a Film Star. Last week's episode was all about Marilyn Monroe. Next week's episode is all about the brilliant Chadwick Boseman. Just search for Death of a Film Star in all your usual podcast places.
2: Crowd Network, a place where you belong. and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Hello,
1: this is Gary Shehaut, welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present,